Hi, this is Patrick O'Reilly from the Vintage Video Podcast, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. If you haven't already, subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, please leave us a rating and review. And now it's time for our feature presentation. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 261, The Effect of Social Media on Pop Culture. Chris McBrien, along with Derek Myers, and this is Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Now, this week, we're going to take a look at the impact and the effect, really, that social media has had on pop culture. For an old guy like me, this should be very interesting. <laughs> this should be a good topic for sure. But before we get around to that, what is new in the world of pop culture for you, Derek? Hey, Chris. Uh, well, I only had an opportunity to see a couple of things this week. We okay. uh, we just came out of the long weekend. It was Canada mm-hmm. Day here in uh, Canada. And then yes. uh, yesterday Happy was July birthday, 4th, Canada. Independence Day yes. uh, in the U.S. So we had uh, we had a weekend of some uh, fun and activities. We had some friends visiting from the U.S. So uh, a lot of social activities going on. Not a lot of sitting down watching TV kind of activities. But I did manage to see a couple of things. Cool. My wife and I managed to get out to the theater and see... Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Indiana Jones 5, or also known as Indiana Jones yeah. and the Last Paycheck. This should be, yeah, this should be interesting. How do you like it? I liked it. Mm. I liked it. Yeah, I mean, it, Raiders of the Lost Ark set a pretty high bar for movies in general, so no sequel will ever live up to it. And this one certainly didn't. I mean, it's impossible for a movie to reach that height. But I did enjoy it. Uh, it's really long. It's like over two and a half hours. I wow. do not think it needed to be that long. I would have tried to trim about 20 or 30 minutes out of it. Um, but no, it was good. It's um, It introduces a couple of new characters. It sort of takes it in a slightly different direction. But it's very clear that this is the, the send-off. This is the goodbye to uh, the character. Uh, without spoiling any major details, the beginning of the movie, Harrison Ford's character is uh, being thrown a retirement party by the university where he teaches. Like they, they clearly indicate mm-hmm. uh, as a part of the story that he's old, he's past his prime. He's, you know, and that's a part of the theme of the movie is like you're a teacher of archaeology that teaches people about old things that are past their prime. And now you are an old thing past your prime. And that that really is sort of a theme that runs through the movie. And so with that in mind, Although they do have him doing Indiana Jones types of things, they really play up the part that he is old and is not as as limber as he might have once been. And, but it works. I mean, that's that's absolutely the point of, of why they did certain things the way they did certain things. But no, I enjoyed it. I'm glad I saw it in the theater. Um, I don't think I would have liked it any more or any less if I watched it at home for the first viewing. But... Indiana Jones is such a big part of of my movie history. I couldn't imagine not going to theater to see it. So, anyway, that that was that was the only new movie movie we saw. I have, I have a question for you. Yes. Did you like Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? No, I did not. But um, I didn't see it. I refused to watch it. Yeah. So I've been listening you know to a lot of. Yeah. Been listening to a lot of podcasts over the last couple of weeks that have been talking about Harrison Ford and his career, and many of them. Uh, many of the people on these podcasts talk about how they've revisited some of Harrison Ford's previous works and the other Indiana Jones movies. And what I've been hearing on a couple of these shows from people is going back and watching that Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull 10 years later. And now that there's a little bit of distance and a little bit of perspective there, you know, they said not that it's a fantastic film, but they said it's probably better than you remember it now that you've had some time to, to distance yourself from it. And what most people have been saying repeatedly is, the first hour of that movie is fantastic. The second hour is where it really falls down. And that was my memory of it as well. But, I, you know, I, I am going to give it another chance in the not too distant future, but not today. The interesting thing about Harrison Ford for me is that he played all these iconic characters back in the mm-hmm. day. You know what I mean? Han, how, does, how, do you, how do you take Han Solo and make him be Indiana Jones? Like, it's just, it ain't going to work, right? And it did. And the thing was, there was never any crossover for me. I'd watch Raiders and I never at any point thought that's Han Solo. 
I didn't. Right. That's Indiana Jones. Like, it was just great how he pulled that off. But then along came The Force Awakens. And I felt when I watched that, that I wasn't looking at Han Solo. I felt like I was just looking at an old Harrison Ford. I don't know. Yeah. There was just something missing. And it's not like he that all of a sudden he's gotten older and he's lost his uh, talent. Because um, you and I have mentioned before the, the show Shrinking that's on yes. Apple TV Plus, And he's on that. And he's fantastic. He plays yeah. a completely different character on there. So I don't know. It's just like, I don't know if he's just kind of given up on those characters or what it is. But I don't know. That's just my take. So anything else that you were able to get to? Uh, I had a chance to watch a documentary. For 40 days and 40 nights, watch documentaries. He likes to learn about the world. It's Derek's documentaries. Derek's documentaries. What was the documentary about? Actually, it just occurred to me when you were playing the song. Mm -hmm. I watched two document. I watched a documentary last week that I forgot to talk about. So since okay. I got a light week this week, I'll ah. jump into that one first. Sure. So I watched... Last week, I watched on Netflix the Arnold Schwarzenegger documentary. It's three parts. I believe it's just called Arnold, and it's three parts. The first part is called uh, Athlete. The second one is called Actor, and the third one is called American. And in the third one, it's all about his political career and stuff. Right. And it was quite good. I, I, as a fan of Arnold Schwarzenegger, I sort of knew the broad strokes of, of his history, but um, it was quite good. So if you have Netflix and you haven't had a chance to watch that Arnold Schwarzenegger documentary, I would encourage you to do so. He's very candid. Uh, he doesn't shy away from some of the problems and issues that, that have come out of his life and his marriage and things of that nature. Uh, he talks openly about using steroids when he was a younger man to help bulk up, which was the norm at the time. Um, so it's very candid and uh, it was quite good. And because he's been in the public eye so much, they have so much footage and so many interviews that it's not just a modern, current, old man, talking head, blah, blah, blah. They they have all this old footage, so it was quite good. Uh, but the new one that I watched this Hold week, on, I just want to just sorry, back up yep. a second. That, that, that just sounds fascinating because Arnold Schwarzenegger is just an amazing guy. When you think yeah. about, like, he was such, so good as an athlete. I mean, we're not talking about, like, you know, he was just a good bodybuilder. He was the greatest bodybuilder that ever lived. Yeah. It's just phenomenal, right? And then he becomes an actor. You couldn't even pronounce his last name, let alone spell it. And then I remember when he made Terminator, the one of the biggest concerns that James Cameron had directing him was, you can't understand what he's saying. <laughs> like, he can't even deliver his lines with that heavy accent. There's no way this guy's going to become a star, but he did. And so he became, like, just so charismatic and so popular as an actor. And then finally, to round things out, as a politician, you know, he was really successful as well, like, you know, in California and stuff. And and, and he's kind of shown the last couple of years that he's he's like a principled Republican. There ain't many of them around. That's for sure. These mm -hmm. days. Mm -hmm. So he's just is he's such a fascinating person. It was it was a really good documentary. Yeah, was on Netflix, I, I, you said? I believe it's Netflix. Yeah, yeah. I, I got to check dropped that out. A couple, yeah. It dropped a couple of weeks ago, so people may have already had a chance to watch it. Um, I forgot to mention it last week, but anyway, and then I watched a brand new one that mm -hmm. dropped on Disney just a couple of days ago and it's straight, it's just called Stan Lee and it's about the history oh. of Stan Lee, the founder of Marvel comics. Oh, you would have uh, loved that one. Yeah. Again, I've, I, as a comic book nerd, I've read a lot of stuff about Stan right. Lee. There've been a number of books put out about the history of Marvel comics. So I, I knew a fair amount. Uh, so I didn't get a lot of new stuff out of this and I found that it, um, it really focused a lot on Stan Lee's early life. And then by the time he actually started Marvel Comics, like that's sort of the end of the documentary. And they just sort of wow. gloss over a few of the very high points. Um, and I thought to myself, like that to me as a comic book guy is more what I'm interested in. I was a little disappointed that they they didn't spend more time on that part of it. Maybe uh, just to show you that he had that whole other part of his life. I guess, um, you know, he was older when, yeah, when he started the comic book thing, like he was, it was already yeah. 10 years, right? Yeah, exactly. So, um, but no, I mean, uh, I enjoyed it. Um, part, uh, unlike the Arnold Schwarzenegger one, Stanley did not have as much footage of himself as a young man. So they used like, um, computer and like a, a computer animator did like cartoon sort of uh 3d images of like what they envisioned the office would look like and and so they it was they had sort of a cartoony style to it and they kept using these little 
cutaways, which I, I thought I personally thought seemed a little cheap. Like they just sort of like, I'm sure they were quite difficult to do. Um, but I, uh, I, I just didn't like the look of them so much. And, um, with that in mind, it was like, I thought the documentary was okay, but, um, it, it, I felt it really was lacking. And, and for me, Stan Lee, like was never a big part of my childhood because the comic books I used to read, you know, I've mentioned before, I like, like the funny ones. I like right. Richie Rich and stuff like that. And I, and I always love movie adaptations and I like the Star Wars comics and Battlestar Galactica, but was never really into Stan Lee. But I always remember Stan Lee from, from the memories that I did have of him. He always included like a little blurb at the front, I think it was, of the comics. And it always seemed to be pretty socially inclusive. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't remember what he, he called it, something like Stan's Stan music. Soapbox. Yeah. And he would just talk about how, you know, you talk about things like back in the 70s and 80s that you didn't really talk about that much, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I always respected him for that. I thought it was pretty cool. So nice. huh, I'll have to maybe check out both of those documentaries. That's awesome. I would start with the Arnold Schwarzenegger one. It was much better. Okay, I will. Uh, so, <clears throat> Derek, it's obviously it's the summer. And as you know, I spent a lot of time up at the trailer with the family. So this past weekend we went up and I got all unpacked and you know everything and then after dinner we were like settling in to watch a DVD. Now I've got the keep in mind I've got this little 24 inch TV that has like a DVD built right into the side of it. You know mm-hmm. you just put the disc in and then you, you watch it. So you you just I, I've always thought like I'm inviting trouble with this thing. Like it just feels like these things are just destined to like break down. You know sooner rather than later. Well, sooner came this past weekend. <laughs> so the DVD mechanism gave out and it stopped working. And the thing is, up there, there's no cable. There's no internet at the trailer. Like, it's really secluded where my trailers. Heck, we're, we're right near where they filmed the movie Meatballs. So it's kind of like sacred ground for me, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. out there. But uh, anyway, so once the DVD player goes, there's no TV. There's nothing. So I had to make a drive into the nearest town and I went to the local Walmart. Well, guess what, Derek? I learned something. They don't make TV DVD combos anymore. Yeah, well, I mean, and that's exactly why. <laughs> everything is smart TVs now. Like, everything relies on your ability to have access to the internet. Like, actual physical media is going the way of the dinosaur. Yep. Like, it's crazy. But the thing is, I need it. You know, like I don't have internet access to the trailer. Like I, I still need physical DVDs, you know, and a DVD player if I want to watch anything when I'm up there. And, and the other thing too, as I noticed is nobody wants small TVs anymore. It's like the bigger, the better, you know, but when you're in a small RV trailer, I need a 24 inch TV, you know, good luck with that. Like I really struggled. So I ended up finding a 24 inch TV finally, and I got a separate DVD player and like hooked them up. So Anyway, we're back in business. Crisis averted. Yeah. But it made me realize one thing, like how much physical media is just going to be a thing of the past. Yeah. Like it really is. I don't know. It's just, I guess you can keep it as a collectible, but you know what I mean? Other than that, it doesn't have a lot of practical value, but well, I still assuming, rely on Assuming it. that you're, you've got a, a player, it's like, we, we've talked about this before. Like I have VHS tapes, mm-hmm. but my VHS player doesn't really work very well. So to your point if I can get the damn thing to work and hook it up to a TV, which is becoming more and more difficult given the age of the VCR and the way they used to connect to old school TVs, uh, you know, if it ever stops being compatible with a, with a modern TV, then yeah, there's, there's absolutely no value in keeping mm-hmm. it short of a paperweight or a memor- memorabilia. Yeah. Just a collectible because we, with more and more of these streaming services like Pluto TV, you know, and Tubi and stuff that have all this old stuff on it. You don't even need it anymore. Like it's all out there. So mm-hmm. anyway. Okay. Anyway, time for this. Here's your dad joke of the week. I thought since we're talking about social media this week, Derek, that I do a social media dad joke for you. Okay. All right. So <laughs> Derek, my ex updated her Facebook profile pic to a photo of her standing on the edge of a cliff. So I poked her. Is poking even a thing on Facebook? I was going to say, I think think the fact that you poked her is why she dumped you in the first place. (laughs) That was a thing, though, wasn't it? You poke? Yeah. 
<laughs> I am really a dad joke with all this stuff. Oh my God. Jeez. Kelly Clarkson. In your face, in the face. Cole got to be, you know sh- And we're going to do a police lineup. Back a self-approach. Let you get that gray matter back before you get TCB in, man. The real money's in f***ing fart jokes. They go down and smack them, yak them. Well, what do you expect there, Canadian? Why are you always in such a bloody rush, man? But he has a Yeah, looky here. I can dig some of that grease to chomp it on some butter, drag it through the gun. Uncle f***. Ooh, I'm glad that's not me. I hate to break it to you, lady, but you're sucking on my arm. All right, so this week we're going to do something a little bit different. We're not going to review a movie. We're not going to talk about a TV series. We're not going to do a top five list. Instead, we're going to talk a little bit about social media and the impact that it's had on pop culture. And this is going to be really interesting for me because I'm the old guy, you know. So, Derek, maybe you can just kind of start us out a little bit because you're always the one that's kind of educating me on the new stuff. I you was know. thinking this this could be our absolute shortest show ever because neither one of us are social media experts mm-hmm. by any stretch of the imagination. But I do think we can both bring a certain perspective to it based on our interactions with social media yeah. and given our uh, extensive uh, histories with just entertainment and media in general, right? Like because we grew up in an era where these things didn't exist, we were around as they were introduced, as things have changed, as they have evolved, as some of them have come and gone, and we, we can provide a little perspective of, you know, once upon a time it was this, as opposed to this is where it seems to be now, or this is where it seems to be going, but. I think we can probably both agree there's a lot of social media platforms that neither one of us are on or that neither one of us, despite having some access to them, aren't using them as frequently as many other people in different demographics, mostly younger people, are are doing today. So 80% 80 of people spend five hours a day on average on social media. Back in our day, that was TV time. Yes. You know, so yeah, just like exactly. you said, like like how, you know, certain people use it and how things have evolved, like it's shifted from instead of spending time watching TV, instead of your time is on social media, you know. But I think it's important to provide some classification or definition to what we're ca- talking about social media. I think for most people, especially older people, when you say social media and they say, oh, I do, I spend five hours on social media, I think they're talking about things more like Facebook, where it's just that endless scroll of, you know, people posting stuff. Um, you know, like I, I know I'm on Facebook more than say I'm on Twitter or Instagram, whereas other people I know who are younger, uh, even my brother, who's not that much younger than me, he spends way more time on Instagram and way less time on Facebook. So I think part of it is what you're trying to get out of it, and um, which, which I mean, that's the whole key to social media, which we'll, we'll get into in a little, a little bit more. But um, well, I think, I, I think it's is, important to define it, right? Like, yeah. are we talking all social media platforms like that are currently available in any way, shape, or form, or are we really just saying it's Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok? Twitter, like these are your biggest ones. They're the biggest kids on the playground. That's what we're talking about exclusively. Um, and, and I think that that potentially has has a lot to do with when you talk about these numbers, some of the numbers being so ridiculous. Yeah, I think high. we could pretty much stick to those ones. And I think they would probably pretty much fall into that. You know, 80 percent of people spending, you know, five hours average would the majority of them would be on those, I would think. But mm-hmm. for me, like pop culture or um, uh, social media has always been about connecting but pop culture is very social i think by its very nature you know what i mean like it's it's all about how we share our love of i don't know movies and songs and tv shows like we always did this growing up we always shared how much we loved pop culture just on a on a smaller scale i mean you were pretty much restricted just to your immediate friends you know and the thing was if you ever wanted to connect with anyone who shared your love of a certain type of pop culture. Like you had to go to conventions or stuff like that, if they even existed. And they weren't as prevalent years ago. So in July of 1991, I went to the Fangoria Weekend of Horrors. There was no social media back then. And that being said, I thought, funny enough, I recently found someone on YouTube that posted a home video of the entire weekend of the Fangoria Weekend of Horrors from 1991. 
talk about a trip down memory lane. So I, I watch it and there's, there's like Tom Savini walking around the vendor area, just talking to people and smoking too, by the way, <laughs> which I thought was funny. <laughs> such different times. So for me, that's, that's sort of like where the two are kind of connected. The fact that we always shared our love of pop culture just with small groups. Now we can share it with bigger groups. And it was a real sort of eye opener for me as social media came on the scene to realize, oh, I'm not the only one that loves this, you know, stuff. I'm not the only one that loves WKRP in Cincinnati. There's a whole group out there of people that that do as well. And so in that sense, I thought it was it just kind of opened up a, a lot of the world. Yeah, you hear you hear a lot of times people talk about, um, you know, finding your people or finding your family, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you, you, you can't choose the family you've been born into, but you can choose a family, uh, you can choose your peers, you can choose your friends, you can choose a group that has similar uh, interests or beliefs or whatever. And, uh, and the internet has certainly made it uh, possible for more and more people to, to reach out and through the power of the internet, find people that, that share their, their ideology, their, their fandom, whatever it may be. And that is certainly, um, opened up a lot of doors uh, in many cases for, for, for the better, for, for many people, for many reasons. One of the things I thought was interesting about what you were just talking about is this idea of sharing. And whereas honestly, that's never really been my interest in, in pop culture. Like I, I'm not really interested outside of this podcast, of course, about sharing people, sharing with people like these are my interests, these are my hobbies, that kind of thing. I'm more interested in the other way. I want to know about the things I want to know about. So, and that's really where I see social media has affected, has, has affected pop culture the most is previously, like when we were growing up, if, if a movie was coming out, if you were lucky, you maybe saw a trailer once before something else that you went to see in the theater. And that was sort of it. It's like, well, I, this movie's coming out and that's all you knew. Maybe there was an article in something like later on in something like a premier magazine or entertainment weekly, or maybe your local newspaper did a little write up. Uh, but that was it. Whereas now it's practically, if not completely impossible for a movie to come out where people who are interested don't already know every single person that's attached to it with the actors who they're playing, what they get paid, how many days they're on the set, what, you know, what their costumes look like, uh, where they're actually shooting it. Like all of these things are now made available through social media, not necessarily made available, but can be found and shared through social media. And, and that's always been more the kinds of things I've been interested in and not to that, you know, nth degree, you always hear me talking about how I don't like trailers. I don't like spoilers. Yeah. But at the same time, like, so for example, Indiana Jones, we watched this weekend. So I've still not watched the trailer, but as soon as we got home from watching the movie, I mean, it was pretty late, went to sleep. And then the next day when I had some free time, I was on the internet all day long, looking through things. I wanted to know about like, Oh, how did they do these scenes and who wrote this? And, and, Oh, they had this, this person polished the script and Oh, who is this performer? What else have they been in? And I was able to go to social media and there was just this insane wealth of knowledge. Uh, yeah, I mean, knowledge definitely with a small K for knowledge because a lot of it was just totally useless knowledge. But they were things as a fan I was interested in and I now had access to um, that that 30 years ago, I would never have had that kind of access. I would, ju- you know, if I had these questions, they would live on as questions forever unless the kind of thing you talked about, like I went to a convention and you had an opportunity to talk to these people. Whereas now with the internet and social media, everything's out there. Whether you want it or not, it's available. And and that has definitely changed the way that uh, the people can and do interact with pop culture in all, on, you know, whether it be movies or music or TV or what have you. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting you mentioned the thing about finding your people. You know, that, 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 that's that's a good point. Like, you know, finding other people that love the same stuff that you do. Because on, on one hand, that could be good. But on the other mm-hmm. hand, it can tend to polarize people. Oh, very much. And we've really seen this with social media. Like, generally speaking with, you know, most notably with politics, you know, we've seen it. But, but also in regard to pop culture as well. Like, you, you see all this online hate for things like you know, Star Wars, The Last Jedi or Nickelback or things like that. But I think like all the thing with social media is it's 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 driven. Some people are conspiracy theorists. Right. And they're like, yeah. oh, social media is there to like bend your thinking. And like, no, you know what social media is there for? It's the same thing. It's there. And everything else is there for 
to make money. That's it. They want to make money. So in order to make money, they have to get eyeballs on content because if they can get eyeballs on content, then they can sell ads for that content. And that's all it is. Well, how do we get more engagement? How do we get more eyeballs on content? Let's put an algorithm in place that figures out what you like to look at and give you more of it. And mm-hmm. so, and, and that's why my wife used to always joke around because she's like, if I ever grab your phone and I look at your Facebook, it's so different than mine is. <laughs> and she'd always yeah. say, you know, like you're, you're, all these things are coming up. She's like, why is it like, why is there happy days on there? WKRP in Cincinnati or things because that's the stuff that I engage with. So Facebook's algorithm just keeps feeding me more of it because it yeah. knows I'm going to click on it and I'm going to be engaged with it. And I'm going to look at it and it does the same for her. You know, hers will look different than mine. And this we've seen in politics. It's not that they're driving you to, you know, back a certain political party or something or look, you know, think of a certain thing, uh, certain, uh, you know, topics or anything like, you know, issues politically. It's just mm-hmm. that if you're clicking on that thing, it's just going to keep feeding it to you. Now, the end result is we end up being polarized, you know, but it's really at the end of the day, it's all driven by money. That's what I yeah. Found. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if if the absolute beginnings of these platforms started from a desire to make money. No, but, but once I you get a taste very, of it, it's hard. Yeah, to go I think back. it very quickly <laughs> yep. when there's when there's a clear line between how can this thing that I am working on building, creating, generate revenue, it's pretty hard to turn back. It's it's that it's that Pandora's box. Once it's open, there's no closing it. And it's not just like like the, you know greed at the top. That's a big part of it. But you start mm-hmm. hiring people. You know how business works. You hire a staff. You got to maintain that staff. How do you maintain it? You got to generate more revenue. You got to generate more sales. How do you do that? Engagement. And that's all it is. It's just it's just a, it's a simple business machine, really. But yeah, one thing that's always interested me since social media has come out, is this this notion of things going viral. Yeah. You know, because back when I was growing up, like back in like the 70s and 80s, going viral was everyone lined up around the block to go see Jaws or Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> that was viral. But like now it's totally different. You can reach so many more people and it can just be something like rather than like Spielberg's Jaws, which takes a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of talent to create you can easily create or people can easily create content that is just crap i mean there's so much garbage out there but it just goes viral for whatever reason just people share it and it just goes around and you know so i mean getting stuff out is 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 easier than ever that's for sure from a content perspective yeah absolutely and i think uh you know sort of circling back you were talking about politics that's one of the things where um i've I've seen on various tv shows some fictional and some real accounts where because um especially in the u.s because politicians have limits on how much money they can spend on certain advertising in certain ways if you can get something related to your campaign to go viral, it's basically becomes free advertising. And so that's the silver bullet for anything that's trying to generate revenue or get eyeballs is if you can if you can have it go viral, um, then then you gain that. And often uh, number of views, number of clicks directly translates into number of dollars or in the case of politics, number of votes, number of people who are influenced by what it is you're you're talking about. And I think um, that's sort of a good segue into the idea of an influencer. And that's one of the things that social media has added to our to our culture that that hadn't been there to that level before. Um, you know, when we were growing up, influencers were basically limited to reputable news people. You would you yep. would read a newspaper or you would or watch a magazine. A, watch a, yep. watch, yeah. And you or you would watch the nightly news and and a reputable authority figure would talk about something and that was, or would review something or, or give you their opinion on it. And you would, res- because you respect that person and they have this credibility behind them, that was how something was influenced. Whereas now it's, it simply comes down to uh, clicks and clicks, uh, clicks, how long, uh, how many clicks on the link? How many eyeballs on the page? What are the total views? What are the total, you know, uh, uh, wh- how many people visit it per day, per minute, what have you. And you have people who have become influencers where it's like they are now 
famous for being famous. And in many cases, some of them can make a lot of money doing it. It's like there's there's video. I think you and I, I was listening to one of our old podcasts. You were saying that your kids would watch videos of like people opening toys or of people talking about video games and stuff. And it's like some of these some of these influencers have, oh, have like 25 million views or something like what the yeah. hell like it's just or, crazy or, yeah or, or a ridiculous number of subscribers and you have a lot of people who are famous whether it's musicians or or uh, or actors or models or people who became famous for for having some talent or ability in some field that have then been able to parlay that into uh uh being an influencer and earning money simply by cashing in on their fame. And that's nothing new. I mean, endorsements have always been around, uh, you know, like athletes have constantly done endorsements and obviously that has blown up over the last 30 to 40 years. Uh, you, you know, you, you hear about actors going overseas and doing like a commercial for a, a, a liquor or a deodorant commercial. And it's like, Oh yeah, we're going to send Harrison Ford to Germany and have him phonetically say the words. And he's going to tout a brand of loafers. And you're like, well, that sounds dumb. It's like, yeah, but they paid him a million bucks. Oh, okay. Now with the invention of, you know, YouTube, Instagram, TikTok, it's like people can just throw these videos up and it can literally be anyone. So, I mean, hell, look at us. We're literally anyone. We have a podcast. Yeah. So, yeah. I, mean, I don't know how, how much of an influence we have over people, <laughs> but um, literally anyone can do it. It's just a matter of who's able to do it successfully enough, who has the right gimmick, is in the right place at the right time, is saying the right thing, is reaching the right audience. And sometimes that's just a matter of what do we think people want to hear? You can pander to people or you can do it the other way and try and give them a, a genuine fresh take on something. Yeah, I think, you know, in the past, you know, you had to have access to these studios and stuff like that. So like you said, mm -hmm. it's kind of leveled the playing field in the sense that, you know, almost anybody can get out there and, and do stuff. In, in the past, it required, you know, talent <laughs> also. You had to have talent. Um not to say that, you know, a lot of these influencers and stuff don't have talent, but I mean, some of the YouTube stuff that my kids watch, it's just, this guy's like screaming. It's just, they're playing a game and they're yelling. And it's like, okay, that got 50 million views. What the hell? Like, I just, I don't understand some of this stuff. But you're right. Like, it would we would never have had an opportunity to get out and do this. But I think the other thing too, that's kind of cool with social media is that, you know, 20 years ago, I used to do a lot of radio as you know, mm -hmm. in the past. Mm -hmm. And when I used to do radio, it was broadcasting, which meant, you know, by its very definition, it was it was broadcast. It was put out to the public. Yeah, so one-way communication. Yeah, very much one way. Um, but so there's, there's sort of two aspects of that. Number one is when you're putting stuff out, you know, sort of in a broad sense, it has to appeal to everyone. So mm -hmm. it'd be very, really hard for us to do a radio show on you know gen x pop culture it's just it's it's just not going to work it has to appeal to more people but with social media the opposite is true you want to be niche mm -hmm. as niche as possible i remember when i first got into podcasting i, I started with uh, dear mr fantasy my fantasy baseball podcast and the key for our success in that show wasn't the fact that it was uh, a, a show about baseball no that wasn't good enough it wasn't even about fantasy baseball. It was not even fantasy baseball with humor. It was fantasy baseball with humor and lots of swearing. Like it was okay. such a niche thing that you could never have done that in radio and got away with it. So right. like, you know, sort of things, things really did change. That's for sure. Yeah. And I think, uh, so a couple of points that you brought, brought up. One is, the access to technology to create these things, whether it's videos or podcasts, like most of this stuff now can be done by yourself from a mobile phone with with just a download of a couple of apps, in many cases, completely free apps. Um, As so opposed that, to the old days when you had to have a huge studio and absolutely. you had to have a mixing board and somebody in another room doing the mixing and the editing and everything. So there's that. And, and then the other thing related to that, I think, is that people's acceptance of of lower quality whereas in the past when it was coming from a professional studio anything less than professional quality was dismissed out of hand because you knew well this isn't from quote the authority yeah. but as the, as the tools became more readily available 
people became more accepting of lower quality and lower standards because they realized, well, if anyone can do this, you can't necessarily judge the book by its cover. Just because the video is a little wobbly or grainy or out of focus doesn't necessarily mean that the content that's being presented or the opinion that's being presented isn't valid. Um, you know, and, and initially that that was a good thing, right? You it, it sort of uh, um, counters the point you made where in your social media feed now you just get the things you like. Well, at the start of this, as the technology became more available, you now had alternate viewpoints. You know, it wasn't just old white men telling people what to do. And if you were part of a group that had previously not been represented in mainstream media, you could now back to what we said before, find your people. We can hear like, what do other people that look like me, sound like me, have had the same opportunities or lack of opportunities? Like, how are they, what are their opinions? And so I think as as the tools became available and more and more people could broadcast their ideas and opinions, that opened up the doors a lot as well. Yeah, I've, I've always been an audiophile. I've always wanted stuff to sound good, but I think you're right, especially when things like podcasting and even YouTube first came out, it was you're right it was okay to not have great quality Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. like it kind of added to the appeal of podcasting i think when it first came out but i mean you know hopefully things are changing a bit and people are wanting to have you know higher quality stuff well it's funny when when social media first got started too if you think about it pop culture content sort of drove social media Mm mm-hmm you know, like people on social media would talk about movies and stuff like that, but or just sports. like or sports or whatever. But like now you're what you're mentioning, the the flip side has happened now where social media content has influenced pop culture mm-hmm. because those those influencers and things like like someone like Justin Bieber, he got his start playing his songs on YouTube out of out of his house in London, Ontario, and it became it went viral and so and that's a great example of social media content sort of driving pop culture yeah you know yeah so so one of the things i want to mention because i remember when yancey was on the show he used to talk about this all the time one of the biggest things when i think of like you know social media and pop culture is memes yeah so he used to always say i love memes i remember we did a, a a show where we had a topic of like our things we liked or something like that or like like i don't know and he was like i like dank memes and i'm like what the hell is a dank meme (laughs) like i didn't even know what it was you know i'm the classic old guy but these i this idea of these memes these memes in under themselves have become pop culture (laughs) items you know yeah and people share them and stuff like that i don't know do you you like memes do you share them are you into them is it a thing like for me i just kind of let them go but yeah, it's uh, and I think that the the term has become used more broadly to define a wider spectrum of things. Like I can I can recall years ago the meme like someone talked about a meme. It was usually a still image with uh, like maybe a stock photo, and then it had like you know writing on it that right. that was sort of related to something. It was always oh, it's always this formula in some way, shape, or form. But now a meme is pretty much just anything that's on the internet that you might see circulating around. It could be a video meme, it could be a still picture, it could be an audio clip. And so the the definition has it has become much broader. It's like, uh, it's like back when we were younger and people said like, oh, are you playing Nintendo? And what they meant was, are you playing a home video game console? But uh, you know, one word started to have a broader definition. And I think that's one of the things with the term meme, it now encompasses a lot more stuff. Um, so one thing that I wanted to mention, uh, being an older guy, because I think Facebook is like an older guy kind of thing. Definitely, yeah. One thing that kind of was a game changer, I got onto Facebook, like, I think it was back in 2007, early 2007, I got into Facebook. And it was like, okay, this is pretty good for connecting with people. But then when I discovered Facebook groups, that's when Facebook took off for me. That's when I just loved it. Because I was able to, that's when I could connect with other people that I wasn't friends with that shared my interests. Right. And so I would find like a group. Like, so I remember back at the time I was really into the show lost and I would talk to my friends and they were like, I don't watch lost. So I'm like, Oh, okay. So like, who do I talk to about this? And I was able to find on Facebook, like a group of people that just loved lost. And we would all go in there and just share our theories of like that week's episode. Yeah. And it was like a game changer for me. That was like, 
huge because it added so much to my love of the show to watch the show and then jump into the group and start talking with other people and trying to figure out what the hell was that all about, you know? And so I've always, like, especially early on, I always felt that Facebook groups were like a huge thing for me. Is that ever something you did? Uh, not to that extent. I, uh, as you, uh, as you know, I'm I'm big into comic books. So a lot of the groups that I'm attached to in Facebook are groups that buy and sell old comics. Again, it's it's that whole idea of finding your people. It's there are lots of comic book collectors online, and there are a lot of comic book sites. But because of what I'm looking for is very specific, I'm looking for Batman comics between a certain decades. Like it's very niche within a niche. So I found that the groups have been very helpful to connect me with people who are either buying or selling the same kinds of things. Um, but to your point, uh, you know, I have a number of broad interests and, and a while back I was attached to a dozen different Dungeons and Dragons groups, but I did find that, um, many of the groups had a lot of the same members, which was fine, but a lot of the groups tended to post a lot of the same articles and a lot of the same opinions. And I found that I, I almost had to find the, the, the very specific niche group within the group just to help filter out all the noise and say like, well, I, I don't necessarily need to see everything and I definitely don't need to keep seeing the same things over and over again. So that I found that was sort of how my personal um, uh, use of it became is is to find that very niche. Who are my people that, that want to talk about or read about this? Um, but to your point, as as my interests changed or my knowledge uh, if I couldn't get the answers I wanted within these groups, I knew there were larger groups. And with Facebook, normally you have like, I mean, at its most basic level, if you and I are going to be quote friends on Facebook, I have to send you an invite and you have to accept it. Like there mm. needs to be that reciprocation. Whereas with these groups, I don't know any of these people. Yeah. I just need to be accepted into the group and bang, right. now we can have our thing. And so that I think has helped uh, connect, connect me with a lot of other people that I don't want to be friends with you in real life. I don't want you to see my pictures. I don't want you to see anything outside of what I'm posting in this group. And I like that it gives us that option. One of the things I've really liked about social media in regard to like my, the way I consume pop culture is, you know, in the past it was hard for me to connect with people because there'd only be a few people that I could kind of ask, like, you know, what's a good TV show to watch or something. Yeah. And as now I can go on like Facebook or Twitter and say, what TV show should I binge watch next? And I can get hundreds of responses and yeah. that was never possible before and like some of them the, then you start seeing like some of the same ones ones coming up again and again like okay maybe i should check out that show you know so that's one thing that i really like is being able to put things out there and trying to get you know uh, people to give me their opinions on stuff even before i watch mm -hmm. something if you think yeah. about film twitter and stuff like that i never would have watched ted lasso which i just loved you know, we just talked about it in a couple episodes back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never would have watched that show if it wasn't for this buzz that I heard on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Never would have, like, I wouldn't know because none of my friends were talking about it. Then nobody that I know in my immediate circle of, you know, friends at work and, you know, socially, they weren't talking about it. It was just, rather, it was social, on social media. So, you know what I mean? Like, it's been a good feeder for me to, even though I don't watch a lot of new stuff, as you know, but just to find different things to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the things uh, that I want to circle back to, you sort of just touched on very briefly was um, you had mentioned Justin Bieber and how he, he got his big break with viral videos by, by creating a video, posting it online. And it was like, here's an amateur thing. And he posted it on YouTube and it got picked up and retweeted by some, some of the, you know, big names in the field right. and, 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 and away it went. And I think that music's definitely been one of those areas where social media has, just catapulted it into a, a, a new way of doing things. And this comes back to uh, the, you know, when music and the internet came together with the idea of file sharing and Napster and all that stuff, like it goes all the way back to that where um, the internet and social media have allowed musicians to, to um, showcase their abilities and, and promote themselves either by uh, like Bieber did by by creating their own material and performing it or doing covers of other songs or like even like you see things where it's this is a you know child prodigy drummer or this is a child prodigy violinist and they'll play something in a way that's that you know most of the general public maybe has never seen before and in some cases this can give them a huge break either it can just give them recognition which 
as a performer, I got to imagine gives you a tremendous sense of satisfaction and and sort of validates that what you've done and, and spent all this time doing, uh, you know, is worth something um, more than just the value of knowing that you're good at it. But it's also I remember when um, I want to say it was Facebook, I think it was Facebook or maybe even MySpace in the time. Um, professional musicians, some got on board immediately. Like I can remember the band, The Offspring. Remember them? They, they debuted mm-hmm. in the mid '90s. Come out and play. They had uh, come out and play. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yep. great album. And uh, when they put out, I want to say it's their second or third album. They had a contest where if you went on their website, uh, and it might have been their MySpace page. I can't remember if it was their actual official website or my. It was one of these things. If you went on their website and you downloaded their new single, which they made available for free. And all you had to do is give them your name and email, email address and they let you download the song for free. And then after I think it was available for like a month and at the end of that month, everybody who downloaded it, all the names went into a draw and they gave someone a million bucks for literally going to their website and downloading the song for free. Somebody got paid a million dollars. And I can remember at the time the mainstream media lost their mind and they're like, this band doesn't know what they're doing. They're, they're, they're wasting all this good money. Like they are nuts. So, but it ended up, becoming a a viral sensation. It became one of those things where the event itself became news and it just promoted their song and it promoted their album. And yeah, they gave away a million bucks, but they got way more than a million dollars worth of advertising out of that. And their record sold all these, well, I guess it would have been a CD at the time, sold all of these copies and they made all this money. And it was like, here's an opportunity where the members of the band and the member of their promotional team saw the opportunity to use these new tools in a way that they hadn't been used before to promote this music and this art to an audience in a way that had never been done before. And I think that's that's the best part about what social media does is as the technology and the tools continue to change, art in, in its many forms, and I mean, like we've said, some of the YouTube videos, you and I probably wouldn't call art, but others might argue they, that they are, whether it's music or performances or what have you, it gives the, the artists opportunities they'd never had before to put their art in front of an audience that may never have had it previously had a chance to see it or hear it or experience it. And I got to think as a culture, this has been very helpful, right? Like when I was younger, if I wanted to see great art, I had to go to a museum. If I wanted to, to hear something I'd never heard before, I had to buy a record or ter- find a channel on the radio that played it. And in many cases, you would have to listen at a certain time, a certain day for a certain program. It wasn't this on-demand everything. Now, with the internet and with social media, you can literally follow groups that are dedicated to promoting up-and-coming artists. Or if you're a fan of someone who's done something in the past, you can follow them and go, well, what is your next thing? I don't want to miss it. This is this is an important uh, important part of pop culture and art that I, I want to be a part of. And that's, I believe, in my opinion, that that is definitely for the better. I mean, there are certainly extremes that go overboard, but I think the idea in general is great. You and I, I think it might have been like a year or two ago, we did an episode on music videos. And we were mm-hmm. talking about how back in our day, you had to watch like Friday night videos or MTV or yeah. here in Canada, much music to watch music videos. But now I was like, where'd they all go? And like you had filled me in. They're all on YouTube. YouTube yep. is the new sort of outlet for all that stuff. So, yeah. so speaking of YouTube, I think it's important that we kind of wrap things up with YouTube because okay. I recently bumped into somebody. And we got talking and he, and he said to me, he said, oh, I, I listened to your podcast. He goes, I went back and listened to an old show of yours and you were talking about the old movie Meatballs because I tend to do that a bit. I was going to say, well, that was one of <laughs> every 900 episode. episodes. Yeah. yeah. And he, he's like, so I went on to, I went online and I looked it up and I found it on YouTube. I found the whole movie and I watched it. That's how I watched it. And he's like, it was so good. He's like, it reminded me of my youth and I remembered that movie and so YouTube is such a great place, at least it started out for me, to be a great place to watch old content. I could find old movies, old clips of TV shows, old documentaries and stuff like that I just really loved. And it got me thinking, back in the late 90s, I had a TV show here in Midwestern Ontario. Mm-hmm. And my buddy and I that I did the show with, we got talking. He does some of the drops on our show, Brian Longmire. He's the morning man on uh, on the beach, on the radio station. And he and I were talking recently. We we're like, could you imagine if we had YouTube now? Or like back then when we did our show? 
you know, things would have been so different. We could have put our content out instead of just being in, you know, uh, Midwestern Ontario. We could have put our content out across the world. You know, like, like I think people today, content creators today have so much more at their disposal of how the reach that they can make, you know. I mean, content creators like, um, like my kids watch Mr. Beast. He's this guy. This guy gets like tens of millions of views on every single video he puts out. And his videos are dumb. <laughs> like, like, you know, people are going to hate me for saying it, but his videos suck. He has no talent. And he's just raking in the money because of the views that he gets. I'm taking my kids to see Dude Perfect in Toronto this, this weekend. I'm going to surprise the boys. You know, they love the Dude Perfect, but these guys only exist because of YouTube. So YouTube is like a massive thing right now, you know? And my well, son's YouTube's actually, been pretty massive for a long time there, bud. Yeah, but it's just, it's crazy how it is now driving the content of pop culture as opposed to, the you know, what my view of, of YouTube was like, I can watch old pop culture on it. Now it's like, no, it's driving pop culture. It's, it's, it's becoming the major content creator. So my, my, my kids create their own videos and they put them on there. And my youngest son, he got picked on at school. He got bullied. He was made fun of because he only has like 29 subscribers on his channel. And I'm like, 29 subscribers. If we, Derek, if we had 29 subscribers, I'd be ecstatic for yeah, our podcast. Be triple what we had but, last week. Exactly. Man, bullies suck. I hate them. But uh, yeah, I don't, it's, just, it's funny how all of social media morphed from being a reflection of pop culture to a driver of pop culture, I guess yeah. is the point I'm trying to make. No, that's so. fair. So way to wrap things up, pop culture, the social media, social media, good for pop culture or bad for pop culture? Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to say good, but it, it like anything else, uh, you know, I'm going to use that line from, uh, from the movie Blade Runner. Cause that's, that's right in our wheelhouse when, uh, they talk about uh, the robots, the replicants, and mm -hmm. they're like, you know, he says, uh, replicants are like any other machine. If they're they're either a benefit or a hazard. If they're benefit, it's not my problem. I think social media is sort of like that. Like any other technology, it can be a benefit or a hazard. It can be good. It can be bad. I think social media, if used, which I believe the majority of people do, as intended, is great. It opens up so many doors and it gives opportunities to so many people and it's, it helps spread information that may not otherwise be available to people that need to hear it but like anything else it can be abused it can be used to target people it can be used for hate and i think that's just the nature of humanity that there's always going to be people that want to do do wrong when everyone else is trying to do right so uh, overall short answer i think it's great yeah even as an old guy i'd say overall it's pretty great if for no other reason i can just go on youtube and watch old stuff anytime i want so there you go for that i like it all right let's have some Fun with Caveman. All right, my man, it's over to you. What kind of trivia do you got lined up? All right, we're, we're going nuts and bolts here. This is okay. less pop culture and more social media. So I'm just sure. going to ask you a bunch of questions sure. uh, about important dates in the history of social media. Okay. Uh, I'm going to give you a lot of latitude on these because none of the answers are before 2000. It's all about when was social media coming into effect and those kinds of things. So uh, we'll hit you up and, uh, uh, you know, we'll go from there. So first question, Instagram. We've already talked about Instagram. When did Instagram launch? Within, I'll give you within a year. I would say 2015. No, way earlier than that. October 6th, 2010. So Instagram in some form or another has been available for 13, 14 years now. Like it is wow. not going anywhere and it is still around. All right, who has the most followers on Instagram right now? I would say Taylor Swift. It's not Taylor Swift. I'll give you a hint. It's an athlete. Oh, wow. I would tend to think it might be a basketball player, but I don't know. It's the Portuguese professional footballer Cristiano Ronaldo. He oh, has geez. over 589 million followers as of June 2023. God, jeez. Yeah. Again, you got to remember worldwide with social media, right? Yeah, like we yeah, are very yeah. North American centric, US true, centric. True, um, true, true. So when you said basketball, I thought, oh, you're not thinking big enough. So, okay. Uh, we're going to go back in time. One of the very first social media platforms to launch was called MySpace. 
Can you give me a guess in what year, within a year, what year did MySpace launch? I want to say it was like 2001. Close. August 1st, 2003. Ooh, okay. All right. How about Twitter? When was the first tweet sent within a year? Uh, Twitter would be around 2006. Yes, March 21st, 2006. There you go. All All right. Look at me. Which ce- which celebrity was the first? This is like pop culture Hollywood celebrity okay. was the first celebrity to have one million followers on Twitter. I'll give you a hint. It happened in April two thousand and nine. So this yeah. was someone who was big in two thousand and nine. This is probably not what you would expect, but it was Ashton Kutcher. Oh my God! You know? Yeah. It. Yeah. Wow. Good job. Yeah. Yeah. I remember he was huge on Twitter when yeah. he came out. Yep. Again, it's like so many things. Some people mm-hmm. just get it. It yep. was clear that he was the right place, the right time, the yep. right guy. He understood it, and he was able to, yeah. No, I was I was not shocked, but surprised when I found that out. Okay, let's move, let's change platforms. TikTok, a little newer. Okay. When did TikTok launch in its original form? Ooh, TikTok. It seems like it's really, really, really new. But I'm going to say it, it's been around for almost, I would say 2015. Very close. I'm going to give it to you. It's September 2016, yeah, and it okay. originally launched in China. So you were within cool. here. I'll give you that cool. one. Okay. Th- this was interesting. Who has the most TikTok followers? Mm, let say, me ask you, be- before yeah. you answer that, let me ask you. Are you on TikTok? Do you follow TikTok? No, Do you post no TikTok? not at all. Not at all. But are you are familiar with the platform? Yep. yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Short so little snippet videos. Yeah. Okay. Uh, again, I'll go with Taylor Swift. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, not even in the right vein. So I didn't, I didn't realize this, and I was again. This was one. Okay, so the guy's name, and I'm totally sure I'm mispronouncing it, is Cabi Lame or Cabi Lame. He's a Senegalese-born Italian social media personality. He's known for his TikTok videos, in which he silently mocks overly complicated life hack videos. He has 161 million followers. Insane. Again, Have you, am, do you know no, who I'm talking about? Never though? heard of it. Oh, it's like. So it, it, basically someone will show some complicated way of doing something that's way ever complicated. And then he just does it the easy way and then throws his hands forward like, da da, that's how you do it. And I was like, oh, that's who that guy is. I see his videos reposted all the time. I see them on Facebook. I see them on Twitter. I see them in TikTok. There's tons of them. Yeah. No, I couldn't believe that he's he's that I, I like you forget how these platforms are international and just people can become so famous. So right. anyway, OK. Uh, let's move on to the bigger the bigger players in the playground. Okay. When was Facebook created? Uh, two thousand and four. Yes, February fourth, two thousand and four. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. When did so? As if you've seen the Facebook movie and you've read anything about it, mm-hmm. Facebook was originally a private thing that was only available to select group. When did it open up and become available to anyone who was thirteen years old or older? Ooh, it would have been probably about six years. I would say twenty ten. <laughs> No, no, we are way off. Only two years later, September 26, 2006. So, oh, it went public in 2006. Yeah, that, it, it, again, like anything else, it went viral and it just exploded in... Uh, oh, sorry, I misinterpreted that. I thought you were asking when it went public, like for stock. Oh, no, not like an IPO. No, no, no. Oh, that, I don't have that at my fingertips, but okay. your, your date was probably closer to the yeah. truth. Okay, last couple of questions are about YouTube. Okay. When did YouTube launch? Uh, YouTube launched in 2005. Yes, February 14th, Valentine's Day, yep. 2005. All right, final question. Mm-hmm. What is the number one YouTube video of all time? Uh, wow, I'm going to still go with... It has 12 billion, yeah. Yeah. over to almost 13 billion views. It's been a while, but I'm still going to go with Gangnam Style. No. Oh. Gangnam Style's not even in the top 10 anymore. Wow, it's, okay. It's Baby Shark. Oh, right. Of course, I should know and, that with my and kids. And like almost double the next one. The next one was the song Despacito. So I think Despacito was around 8 billion. And this one's 12.7 billion. It's just like, wow. Like the big thing. Again, you got to remember international, right? Yeah. It's, it's It needs to appeal to a broad audience. And with the baby shark, because it appeals to parents internationally, of course, mm-hmm. it's the number one. But yeah. Some so of those dates I was pretty familiar with and I might have surprised you with because I remember doing a lesson plan with some of my uh, students because in my day life, I'm a college professor. So I actually had a lesson plan that I put together where I had students grab like pieces of paper that had like Facebook, 
you know, TikTok and stuff. And they had to go up on the board and tape them where they thought they were in terms of oh, when they launched. So nice. I, a lot of it's kind of fresh in my mind. So that's why I got some of that stuff. Well, uh, you got you got a lot more yeah. of them than I expected you to. I, I that's mean, probably why. Obviously, we normally do trivia related to pop culture, which is a little more in our mm-hmm. wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Since we were doing social media, I felt let's just do old school nuts and bolts trivia with the dates. Yep. So no, it makes fun. Uh, it was good. Yeah. All right. So um, next week, we're going to take a little bit of a break. You know, we got summer some vacation, holidays. man. We got some got holidays coming up. Yep. So you and I, we're hoping to get together next week, too. That would be yep. really, really nice if we could do that. But uh, we're going to take a break next week. We'll try and get a best of a show out there if we can. But until then, this is Chris McBride on behalf of myself and Derek Meyer saying, have a good summer vacation. We'll be back in two week time. Thanks for listening. This is Pop Culture World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show.